This is exactly right. Social media is a monster. It can be such a beautiful thing that spreads awareness, acceptance, education. It can do all these things. It has this incredible power to create so much goodness, but I think it's human nature to create a lot of negativity. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is adoption, foster parenting, special needs, autism, and LGBTQIA, and much, much more with Ika McLeod. Ika's journey to building her family began when she made the decision to pursue her dream of adopting a child. After becoming a licensed foster parent while in graduate school, she started welcoming children into her home. Throughout her time fostering, Ika cared for 18 children and eventually adopted three with disabilities, Eli, Evan, and Ella. The self-described family of misfits has made a name for themselves on social media during the pandemic with unapologetically real hilarious content that showcases the triumphs and challenges of their daily life. Their devoted fan base includes 150 million likes, 2.7 million followers on TikTok, and over 117,000 followers on Instagram, as well as over 230 million views, people, 230 million views, and over 305,000 subscribers on YouTube. Ika's passionate about using the family's platform to advocate for acceptance for the LGBTQ plus community and people with disabilities. Six-year-old Evan, who is queer, has become a social media star in her own right thanks to her love of wearing long dresses and careful hairstyles. Her story has garnered coverage from well-known media outlets, including the Today Show, CBS News, and Out Magazine, to name a few. Also, Ika has earned two master's degrees, one in professional counseling, as well as being a marriage and family therapist. Now, doing more things in life, he is a like-mind kindred spirit. Ika, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, lots to talk about, lots to talk about. And I, I, we're, you know, t- going to be talking so much about your family now and your platform and what you're teaching all of us, millions of us. I'd like to start with can you tell us a little bit about your own family that went into you, you know, creating this whole family? A little bit about your, your upbringing. Um, I mean, my upbringing, I have one sibling. Um, I grew up here in, I grew up in San Jose, California. I grew up in, in California. We live here now in Southern California. We love it. Um, I, I mean, I don't even know what to say other than my upbringing was very up and down. Mm-hmm. So I, I did have, um, loving parents. Um, my dad who raised me, I think he played a, a pivotal role was not, 
my biological father. Mm-hmm. And I think he was the first person to teach me that, um, you know, family is more than just DNA. Yeah. Um, and actually Evan and Eli both carry uh, his name as their middle names. Ah. So yeah, that was the way he passed away when I was uh, 20 years old. Mm. So I, yeah, I grew up in San Jose, California. Um, originally when I was really young, my biological father was an addict. My, my mom wound up leaving him. Um, things were really rough. We mm-hmm. were, um, I think we were poverty stricken on a, a very deep level. Uh, my mom met my dad, they got married and we had about <clears throat> 10 years of really good life. And then their marriage um, disintegrated and, and it was kind of like back to this struggle. And then my dad died shortly after that. So um, my upbringing is something, it, I, like I said, it's just kind of up and down. It's all over the place. I think a lot of people have it where it's just really rough and a lot of people have it where it's just really great. And mine mm-hmm. was, is just, mm-hmm. I don't even know what to say about my upbringing. I do think that a lot of things I learned growing up have instilled a lot of great qualities in me. Yeah. I think um, survival, the mm-hmm. survival skills at the very least, mm-hmm. um, knowing how to survive even with nothing would be something that really stands out. And I would say my mom probably taught me that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that because, you know, this show is not only about um, the footprints we're trying to leave on our own kids, but most importantly, the footprints that were left on us. And what do we do with that with the families that we create and how do we go out in the world? And you've created this amazing family and you've also cared for um, many others along the way to forming your family. Did you? Was this something like when did you start to realize you wanted to create this family of your own? Oh gosh, I I always knew that I would adopt children. Um, and I mean, I look at myself as a queer individual, and there's so many signs, so many signs that were like in my past that I don't know how any nobody called it out, um, or maybe they, you know, people were just too polite to call it out. Um, <clears throat> But as a kid, like I never played marriage. I didn't play pregnancy, which I think a lot of little girls do. I played adoption. Mm. Like I, I, whenever I, I do interviews and stuff, I always tell people, like it cracks them up. (laughs) This was, of course, you got to realize this was like the eighties. Okay. It was just different times. I used to play wagon trail. So I'd get like two chairs and I'd set two in front, two in back. And I'd have like my jump rope, which was like, you know, to do the horses with. And then I would, my cabbage patch dolls would be along the way and, these orphan children and I'd adopt them and we, you know, we'd live under the wagon during the rain. It was very little house on the prairie. It was like, Oh yeah, totally. I relate. Um, I relate. Yeah. So I, I, I've known, I would say I'm a very early age, as young as five or six that I knew I would adopt. I knew, um, for me, it was really never in the cards to have biological children. Not that I can't, it's just something I've never wanted to do in that way. I think women are very pressured in our society. Mm-hmm. Like, what is wrong with you? How do you not want to have one of your own? Um, that kind of talk and stuff like that. Um, and I do think, funny enough, people really assume like her biological clock is going to start ticking. And I'm um, I'm rounding the corner over to 42 now that it's July, mm-hmm. January, baby. Um, so I'm 41. And that clock, I, I just, I think that some people are just called to do things. And this was always my calling. That clock has never ticked. Yeah. Um, and let's be honest, at my age, it's not going to take for much. Nothing's, <laughs> nothing's taking much longer, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've never felt that need, but it was one of those things. I, 
I always knew it. I kept, as I got older, I remember telling my parents, like I didn't want to birth children. Yeah. Um, everybody always kind of gives you, gives you the same response when you're a female, like, Oh, you're going to change your mind. You know, here we are all these years later. Um, and then when I was, <clears throat> I think 13 or 14, I met a family. Their two daughters were good friends of mine. I back in my much younger, thinner days when things didn't hurt. Um, <laughs> It, we, I was a, a competitive cheerleader and so were they. Mm -hmm. And so I would hang out with them and their parents were actually foster parents. So they had five biological kids and they would foster. And so when I'd go to their house, this was like, it was the coolest thing ever. It was all these kids. I really liked that the parents were more relaxed because with so many kids, you just cannot, you know, my parents were very, even though they were very loving, very strict, we had a very regimented household. Yeah. Um, and it was so different. And I was just like, this is how I'm going to do it. Uh, and I, I'm still friends with the family. Like I'm, I, in fact, I officiated one of the, one of their marriages years ago. Nice. Um, yeah, I know life is very weird. And then, um, I was in graduate school. I finished, I finished, uh, my undergrad degree and then I was starting graduate school and I was like, oh, I really want to, but no, now's not the time. And I, to this day, I just tell people like, I heard a voice say no now. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Here we are. Yes. <laughs> graduate. So like graduate school and, and fostering, right? Like each on its yeah. own is a huge endeavor and, yeah. um, you must have a lot of capacity. I am just, I'm nuts. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I've always been that kind of person. It's funny cause people say that and like, you know, I think the idea of you can't just doesn't sit right with me. It never has. I've always marched to the beat of my own drummer. Um, and I take a lot of flack for that. I've always taken a lot of flack for that, especially as a female. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, I mean, I was obviously home doing schoolwork most days. So it was nice to at least be there as opposed to doing an outside job. I mean, most foster parents, a lot of them work nine to fives. Mm -hmm. Maybe one dozen or whatever if you're in a lucky situation, but most of them do. And so... I was lucky enough that I could schedule things, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, if, if I had to write a paper and I was up at midnight or one in the morning, I, I was at least able to have that. I felt like it was very much a luxury. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was able to kind of make it work and just be really flexible. So it was the hardest though, when I had, um, <laughs> one time and I would never, I always said this out as a foster parent, I'll never do that again. I took two preemies back to back. It was like having twins and it was wow, three months of just zero sleep. And I was yeah. just like, mm, I may have bit off more than I could chew in that moment, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just in case you wanted to have a couple young infants, you're like, mm, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> one at a time. Like yeah, if you yeah, do, yeah, do it yeah. one at a time, yeah, yeah. I, I, my hats off to parents of multiples. It's, yeah. um, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. What did you, <laughs> Going into foster parenting, becoming a licensed foster parent, what what did you ex like expect that happened? And then what for people to 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 be eyes open about who are pursuing this, who are on this path, pursuing this path to be like, what are the what are the unexpecteds? I always ask people that, like when even when I talk to people now, what is something that you wish you would have known? Like if I was interviewing for a job or doing something, I asked, what is something you wish you would have known about this job before you started? Um. And it's kind of the same thing. I would say we all, I, most people go into foster parenting with this golly gosh, you know, like I'm going to go and I'm just going to change lives, y'all. We're just going to do all the things for the children. 
and that's good. We all go, I think we all go into it very naive and very gung ho. Um, and that's just not what it looks like once you're on the inside. Number one, and I'm always honest about my experience as a foster parent. Um, I did it for like five or six years. My license was open. I fostered 18 children in that time. Would I ever do it again? No, absolutely not. When I tore up my license, it was the best feeling ever. The system owns you mm. at that point. And it is, there is no freedom. You are constantly, number one, foster parents just right out the gate are treated like shit. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. We're going to call it what it is. They really are. You have to realize you are the lowest of the low in that system, in the ecosystem that is the foster care system, foster parents, there's like dirt, then there's the garbage that sits below the dirt, and then there's how they treat the foster parents right below that. Okay, that, um, that sounds really messed up. It is, it is. And foster parents have zero rights, zero rights. Um, and a lot of it, it's uh, put up and shut up. You are blackballed if you try to speak up or try to help. And, you know, I was already, because I knew the family, trained going in, like you, you can't even say anything. You can't. Hmm. And the hard part is you're raising these children. Yeah. You can't help but grow attached. Most, and all of my kids, other than mine that I that stayed, left. And I was really good with the goodbyes. That wasn't super hard for me. I was built to do something like that. But the mistreatment by social workers, judges, attorneys, all the people involved in the system who are themselves overloaded, overworked, exhausted, extremely underpaid, well, primarily the social workers. Yeah. Um, everybody's at that point where they just don't care. They don't want to hear it. Um, just make it work. And as a foster parent, that's the hard part. These people clock out at five o'clock. You do not. Right. So it's a very, you know, I always tell people and some, some states and counties have regulated foster parenting as a job and some have not, but however you want to view it, it's very personal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This child, these children are in your home, sometimes alongside your own children, whether those children are biological or adopted. So it's a very, very personal thing. Um, so personally, would I ever foster again? Absolutely not. Absolutely so, not. <laughs> so this, this experience led you towards adoption? Yes. Fostering is, yeah. I knew I would foster to adopt. Oh, you did. So, you went into it knowing you were going oh, to. Eventually, yeah. Permanent and, home. Yeah. If, if for the children who couldn't go back, then mm -hmm. the McLeod home would be a permanent home. That was mm -hmm. kind of the idea. But yes, it was a very rough journey. I always tell people I walked through fire for my children and that's, that's how it felt. And you still do. Every day. <laughs> Every day. Every day. <laughs> Every day. Um, as you take a sip of your uh, good-looking drink, I just wanted – I keep wanting to comment That's on your, finger, first, on your, your fingernails. My first caffeinated drink of the three I will have to drink today. <laughs> I, I see beautiful pride nails. I just want to shout oh, it out. Yeah. Pride <laughs> month. You've got the pride nails on. Yes. Yes. I love them. So your famous family – you, as you were building your famous family, who know who 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 knew you would have a famous family? How? What? Please share the adoption process as well, because that's not an easy one from my understanding as well. That's hard to explain, only because it depends on if you're adopting like private or through foster care. Mm. But I can cop. I'll come at it from my experience of through the foster care system. Um, for these kids, if you decide to do foster, adopt, foster to adopt, then you're fostering and adopting. 
parents need to know that you can also just do it to adopt a child through foster care. I think a lot of parents don't know that and they get kind of bamboozled into thinking they have to foster. No, you can be on a wait list for a child to just straight adopt a child that would be available and all that stuff. So just so people know, you run the gamut of a case. Um, again, the length of a case varies. Um, typically here in California, I'd say it's about 18 months in Texas where I adopted two of my kids. It's about a year. Um, you run the gamut of a case and there's a, there's a, it's crazy to me how it works. There's a hearing every three months that lasts about five minutes. This is mm. people's lives. I, I children and the bio parents, like it's crazy to me. Um, but they're so overloaded. So once it comes to the end, depending on, and obviously my kids' cases, um, parental rights, the departments decided to move forward with, de- with terminating parental rights for XYZ reasons. Once that uh, PTR takes place, or um, TPR, termination of parental rights, that hearing takes place, then you're moved into the adoptions unit. And again, those units are extremely backed up. I've heard of families waiting a year to adopt. The, they've already run the case. That was already a year. Now they're a year later just sitting in the adoptions unit because there's not enough workers back there. Mm. Fortunately, I didn't have that experience. Um, Once uh, termination of parental rights took place for all three of my kids, adoption hearings were set within about, I want to say, two months. Mm. And then, you know, you're still always sweating bullets because it's just kind of like, sadly, the department owns your children for lack of a better term. You're scared. It's a horrifying experience. Um, it's very nerve wracking. It's very, very emotionally, um, uh, challenging. Mm-hmm. And once you go to that hearing, it's, you know, they do the song and dance and the judges smiling and everything like that. And it's so funny to me. It was very, very, um, backwards. I'm like, we've been tortured. <laughs> You've tortured your parents throughout this process. And then you get to this point of like, we're so happy you're here. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, it doesn't seem like that, y'all. Right. Um, and then the judge hits that gavel and it's wild. It's over. Mm. All this, the emotional trauma, um, the fear, everything that went into it for at that point, probably 14, 15 months, it's over that quickly. Um, and it's really cool because you go over and, you know, they already know the the name that you're changing your child's name to legally and all the things. And so it's after the adoptions, what's, re- what's really cool is you kind of get those things trickling in. Like the next cool thing after the adoptions finalized and they give you your adoption papers like on the spot, like this is your child, here's your proof. And then, you know, a month or two later, all of a sudden the birth certificate comes in the mail and there it is. There's your name with their, their adoptive name yeah. and you're on that birth certificate. It's amazing. Hmm. That's, that's the cool I can, part. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Um, it must be surreal when you get to that point and um, they're actually yours, all yours. No one I've else can tell you what to do. Yeah. I've broken down. Though getting those birth certificates, it's just like, it's like this big exhale. And even to this day, I mean, Ella is, I just sent out her birthday invitations for her birthday party in about three weeks. I'm really excited. She turns five and she's my youngest. And even now with my youngest being five, when I have to get their birth certificates out for something like for school and I see them and it's, those still make me smile. They still mm. make me feel yeah. good. So how did you go from just regular private family of misfits to um, famous family of misfits? Like what was there, was there a, um, 
anyway, I use that. I use that term. I use that term lovingly and your term, okay. not my term, right, everyone? Um, I've seen the videos. I've seen Disneyland. I've seen, I see, we'll talk about the old gays. I've seen the princesses. I mean, it's just magic. Like that part, that, that part seems magic mm. to me. Well, what you see on social media looks like magic, but trust me when I say like the pitfalls of being on social media, um, they sometimes, sometimes start to outweigh the good things. Mm -hmm. So keeping your head on straight with that is really important. Um, I went public at the urging of a friend who was just like, you've got to put yourselves out there. Like people have got to hear your story and see your lives. And I was just like, nobody gives a hoot about us. <laughs> I really didn't think so. And, and honestly, she told it to me for like probably six, seven, eight months. And finally I did go public on Instagram and nothing happened. Like, and we just kept living our lives. Um, TikTok was very unintentional. I had a different friend who's like, you've got to get on this app. It's so funny. And this was before COVID, before the lockdown, before the pandemic. Those were different times. Mm -hmm. um, and I got on, I want to say like December of 2019. And like anybody else at that time, I would stay up till 3 a.m. just laughing at most hilarious videos. I didn't post till January 2020. Um, and I didn't post a lot. It didn't, I didn't really understand the app. I posted like four or five times and it was that last video. It went viral. Like, February 11th. I'll never forget that date because it was just like so shocking. Uh, it was kind of like wildfire from there. Um, TikTok was very unintentional for us. It was not like I went on there expecting anything. I did not know how that app worked. Um, and even for all the negative side of it, we have made some really great friends. So we're mm -hmm. really thankful for that. What is the draw, do you think? What What is it that from you hear from your fans, your followers, what is it that speaks to them so? The diversity. Mm -hmm. I think when you see someone who looks like you and you've grown up your whole life with somebody who never looked like you. Um, I have a, a, we have good friends, Molly Gray and Jekka Jane, and they're married. Uh, Molly was on Teen Beach Movie. She's one of the stars of that on Disney Channel. And she was also like, one of the top five finalists, I think, in her season of So You Think You Can Dance. She's mm -hmm. incredible. And Jekka um, is her husband, and Jekka is trans, um, female to male. And, you know, I just share our lives. It's interesting how people blow things up more or want to assume things. But one thing that always stood out to me is Molly told me once, she goes, you know what Jekka told me? And Jekka wasn't even there. I think he was somewhere else in the house. And I was like, what? that he had said if he had just had an Evan, if he had, when he was young, mm -hmm. seen an Evan, how different his life would be in the processing of where he's at mm -hmm. um, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He didn't have an Evan. He didn't have an, when he was a child, he didn't have a kid like Evan, you know, happily living their lives, thriving with a supportive, loving family. Um, and you know, Jekka wondered, I guess, like how different, where would I be if mm. I had had an Evan? So that really stood out to me. And that was somebody that we're close with. So mm -hmm. I guess to kind of sum it up that that's what yeah. stands out to me for that. You know, I, if you're comfortable saying you've alluded to a few times, you know, I talked about the magic I see with the TikTok and all these amazing numbers. Um, you also talk about the difficulty. Do you, is, would you like to, share the difficulty of also being in this position? Oh, social yeah. Media? I mean, social media is a monster. 
it can be such a beautiful thing that spreads awareness, acceptance, education. It can do all these things. It has this incredible power to create so much goodness, but I think it's human nature to create a lot of negativity. I think, and you as a psychologist knows that as well as I do, you know, when we hear one critical piece of information about ourselves, how many positive statements it takes just to overwrite that we as humans are just wired to be, I think, very, um, untrusting, very, um, for, for lack of a better term, just very negative. Um, and that can come from so many places and so much trauma. But when you put so many people out there who can sit behind the keyboard and now have this freedom of saying things where they think they're not going to get caught, but then you have people out there when they do something really bad, now find out where they're working or where school they go to. Um, you think they'd learn, but the downfalls of social media, I mean, people always are going to uh, make allegations, accuse you of being someone you're not accuse you. I mean, I think that the biggest one is I force Evan to wear dresses and I'm like, right. One, have you ever met a child? Two, have you ever met a child with autism? There is no forcing Evan to do anything. If I could force my kids to do something, it would to be behave and listen. And they don't do that. When I, when I tell you they don't do that, trust me. Yeah. I have, um, multiple sitters in my home. Um, one of them lives with us now, but Sitters have been in my home multiple days a week, a housekeeper, like um, the kids, of course, have been in school. It's summer break right now, all these things. Um, there are so many people in their lives who see, like, especially when we're talking about Evan, who Evan is. But somehow people think like there's just this huge conspiracy, like this ring of everybody, you know, uh, forcing this on her. And it makes me sad. And it Mm -hmm. only feeds into what they're doing is by doing that is feeding more homophobia and transphobia out Mm -hmm. there onto these platforms. They're Mm -hmm. not actually saying I'm concerned for this child because they know there are people in, there's so many people in their lives, but yeah, that's what they're doing is feeding that. So that's really the downside. You look at people trying to manipulate your life, your family, your message, and um, it's ugly. It's really ugly. It, can get really ugly, ugly. and um, yeah. there's just, you know, whatever term we want to use, there's so many haters. It's like yeah. with all the goodness, there's always the haters. There's always the people who are going to use the platform to just for negativity and yeah. for hate. And so yeah. I hear that. Um, I totally understand that. And I can, I can also understand at some points why you might feel like, gosh, is this worth it at, at, at some of the darker moments? Yeah. It's an, and it's a labor of love. Social mm-hmm. media is a lot of work. I think people, I hear young kids, like now when you ask kids what they want to be exactly. with, me, like, right. When we were kids, yeah. we were like nurses, teachers, yeah. like, I don't know <laughs> yeah. these things. And then and now kids are like influencer. I want to be on TikTok. And I'm just like, it's so surreal because it, we fell into this again. We fell into this. I had no idea this is where we would be. Um, and it's, it's work for those people who think it's, I think people think it's easy. I work seven days a week. I am on seven days a week. Um, and the trick is when you are, um, when you have a family account, because that's right now, the big trending thing is to say anybody who posts their children on social media is exploiting their child. Um, you know, Oh, there's pedophiles out there, honey. The pedophiles are in your kids' schools. They are your kids' coaches. They are your neighbors. They are your kids' friends, parents. 
Um, so I think people forget about that, but that's really kind of what's coming up a lot now. Um, and I do have to find that boundary, that line, this, I never want this to feel like work for my kids. The work falls on me. So much of our content is very organic or like, it's just, I'm filming one of them at gymnastics or dance or doing something silly. Um, and then I create something with that, or, you know, um, even that one you talk about with the old gaze, we had that planned. Evan was super excited. She's got her dress on and, but you don't see, they did some TikToks together at the end and Evan loves doing TikToks. But what you see filmed in that, that's organic content. It's just them engaging mm-hmm. and me standing back and that's it. Yeah. So it's really a lot of that. And it's finding that balance. It's finding like, um, what don't we share? There's a lot, a lot. I would say it's not even a toe dip that you're seeing of our lives, the challenges that we face as a family, because I know people won't understand the challenges that we face. Mm-hmm. So is, um, is, is that a bind when, you know, there are those really tough moments. And, you know, I was thinking about the idea of exploiting, you know, and you're with your, first of all, all kids melt down. We know kids with special need and autism have more triggers and more. We know that. We know. know. (laughs) So part of the, the realness of your life is also that difficulty. And so I imagine you have to really think how much to show. I, I don't show, I don't show that. Mm-hmm. I cannot show that beyond the fact that that would feel like exploitation. I don't think that my kids would want me like if it's a silly little fit or something and they're just being funny. But mm-hmm. when it's an actual, we talk about those outbursts, the ones, you know, as well as I know what those look like yeah. Um, and how serious those can get. That's never shared. Why? Mm-hmm. For many reasons. And I wish I could on some level, but there is that line as a parent for my kids that I, right. that for me is a, a very big line. Um, and that's number one. And number two, I think that, um, kind of in growing on social media and learning stuff, I realized that in sharing that people don't want to be educated. They want to draw their own conclusions of, what leads to something like that. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what happens is the failure is always placed back on the mother. If there's two parents involved, it's still always placed back on the mother, but somehow I'm supposed to be shooting rainbows, cupcakes and unicorns out of my ass and magically supposed to be able to make everything that my kids do perfect and angelic and all. And that's not how it works for children with disabilities. It just doesn't work that way. They're going to do what they're going to do when they want to do it. And I'm just like trying to corral. I'm I'm just like, Whoa, but let's make it sure we're safe while we're doing it. Okay. You know? Right. Uh, So that's really what it is. I wanted to ask you a question about pronouns because I know everything, everything changes in real time. And, um, many of your, um, Many of your followers know your kids and Evan, but there are some who are listening to this for the first time and don't. So Evan, who um, has described, I was going to say at first, himself as a uh, girl, boy, boy. girl boy. Girl um, boy, yeah. <laughs> and Anne was going, um, using, you were using the pronouns he, and then I yeah. got the updated bio and um, there's she um, referred to. So I was, I wanted to make sure that I am up to date. On, you and, are, and she is had Yes. She came okay. out as a girl. Um, it's funny because everybody's like, oh my God, I was totally waiting for this. And I was like, maybe it sounds crazy, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I felt like girl boy was a very accurate term for Evan. 
And then one day Evan was in tutoring and I had Eli and it was really hot. So me and Eli just waited in the car and we can look right in. We're at the door. And Evan came out from her tutoring and gets in the car. And I usually speak because Eli can't talk. So I usually speak. I want the kids to learn to engage with Eli. So I'm like, oh, Eli wanted to know this. Like, so I talk like that. Like, and they'll talk back to him, which is so cute. I was like, Eli wanted to know where brother was at or what brother was doing or something like that. And Evan had just gotten in the car. She was still standing. She was going to sit down. We we're still parked. And she whipped. I was in the front seat, of course, driver's seat. She whipped her head around quick, fast, and in a hurry. And I just, I'll never forget this. She was like, I sister. Mm. I sister. And I was like, uh. Um, so I approached those things very carefully because I know that miscommunication can happen between anybody as, a, mm-hmm. as an ex-therapist. I know that. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. Can you know, I'll say, I want to clarify. Can I ask you a question? Like I always ask her permission to ask her. Um, so you're saying Evan is sister. Eli is brother. Ella is sister. Like clarifying those things. Okay. And then once she confirms, like, you know, by asking her questions, well, do you want to, and I have to give her examples. Cause I can't just say like he, him, she, her. And Evan's like, Whoa, I have to say, you know how, when I talk about Ella, I say, she likes to go to the park. That's her toy. When I talk about Evan, do I say he likes to go to the park? That's his toy. Or she likes to go to the park. That's her toy. And Evan's like, no, she, mm. she, and, and so, um, and Evan's very verbal. She never stops talking. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it was a really, um, humbling um, experience as a parent because I thought, well, I know that this is Evan and I really just expected Evan to stay as the girl boy and we'll see where it goes when she's a little older. Mm -hmm. So it was a big surprise to me. Mm -hmm. It was, but she is using she, her pronouns and sis, she's sister, not brother and daughter, not son. (laughs) Like growth and development is, is it's, it's lifelong and we don't know when we're going to keep with our awarenesses. Evan's journey is, is, is so typical. And when I say typical in the sense of typical, like we don't know what it is. We don't know when people are going to come to new awarenesses about themselves. And where I'm going with this is your awareness, because I loved your YouTube video um, that you did last year, which is I put the A in LGBTQIA and how you talk about you're becoming aware in real time of your sexuality. Like who knew, like you said, could someone could have told me some of these stuff? Like we, we don't stop growing and learning. And even since that year from posting that video, I have come to more, my awareness is even more heightened now about my own sexuality. Um, and like I was joking earlier in, in this podcast, I was like, there were signs so many signs. Like, so I actually, um, I just, I, I talk about being queer, definitely asexual. I haven't talked any more about it. Um, and it's funny because a lot of my friends are like, why don't you come out, come out? And I'm like, I really can't. Um, primarily because the, the people who are negative, the people who want to, um, create this hostile environment surrounding, you know, um, and being very homophobic and transphobic, um, really telling my story, I know how they would try to twist that message and it would become Evan's journey would become disingenuous and Evan is my focus. So mm-hmm. I actually don't really go any further in depth than what you saw in that video, mm-hmm. but yeah, there are more realizations that I've come to and I'm just like, 
Yeah. It, there's no age limit. And I just saw this. I think it was the Today Show just shared an article. I don't know if you saw it the other the other day or last week. It was a woman. I want to say she's 50. And she just came out as gay. And she was married for like 30 years. Something wild. And she's like, I should have known. Like, apparently gay women like buying Subarus. <laughs> like, And she has her. She's in front of her Subaru. I was dying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved her message of it's never too late. Those realizations. I think people put put um the lgbtqia community in such a box mm-hmm. the first thing is just like well evan can't first of all they they confuse gender identity and sexuality right for they sure. do not somehow no matter how much people say it they still believe the two are the exact same thing and i'm like google exists people try yeah. it it's a um when i was young the encyclopedias were awesome i can get you one of those if that helps yeah um so that's really hard. So they're just like, there's no way, you know, Evan can know this and that. I was like, I sure as hell knew what I wanted. Evan's about to be seven years old here in a month. I'm like, mm-hmm. I knew, I knew, I remember being, I can have memories back to like, and I was like two, three, four, very feisty. I knew what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, then it's just like, they shouldn't be allowed to do this or make that decision until they're 18. So you are cisgendered heterosexual. You didn't make that decision till you were 18 because I recall you going probably to all your school dances with a date, homie. So <laughs> they, but they, this is, they should have less rights. We should have less rights. Yeah. How does that work? Or so it's like, they want to put these age stipulations. Um, and, and I think for a lot of people coming out older, like myself, um, there's a lot of embarrassment and shame surrounding that. I think mm-hmm. for me being asexual is why I didn't really think about it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't on my mind. It's not right. something that's at the forefront of my mind. Um, so there's so much that goes into that. And I wish people would just, I would say, I wish they would stop and educate themselves. But sadly, these people, they have that education. They don't want to be educated. They want to remain closed-minded, angry, and ugly. And it's a very, very sad thing. And fear. It's, I mean, there's so fear much yeah. fear that goes into all of um these unfortunate point of views. And, um, so I appreciated you putting yourself out there when you did last year. Uh, it was very real and, um, it, it showed another part of the, of the whole, um, spectrum and, and your own experience of becoming and becoming aware of a very bright, a very accomplished, a very educated person, right? This idea that, wait, 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 people are like, wait, you didn't know. And I talk to adults all (laughs) the time, who, who, who have said, well, why didn't anyone tell me if you guys thought I was leaning in those directions, why didn't you tell me? Right. We make this assumption (laughs) that everyone, that everyone knows. It's like, well, I don't know. You know, I just knew you were you, you know, that sort of thing. My best friend knew. And when I say my best friend, I know people are like my best friend. and I've been best friends for like six months. No, my best friend and I've been best friends for almost 25 years. All right. That's legit. Ages me very much right there. Yeah. And, um, I've come out to her on two separate occasions and both times she's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, are we not? She's like, no, I, I knew. And I was just like, okay. Gatekeeping. Hello. Hello. Could I, a memo please memo over here. Yeah. She absolutely um, loves me too much. She never put pressure on me. 
she never bothered me over it. I think a lot of people push people to come out and coming out is not something for everybody. That's this big flamboyant party celebration. Some people only come out to themselves. Some people only come out to close family and friends, whatever. Um, and so I think, but people assume it's got to look a certain way. And I'm like, it's not how that works. Mm-hmm. Have you had to learn to be kind and compassionate to yourself um, as you've grown in so many ways, or does that come naturally to you? No, that does not come naturally. (laughs) I don't know who. I mean, if somebody is like, I'm just so good to myself, like, what's it like to be God's favorite? What's it like to walk in the light? Tell me. Um, I'm really hard on myself. I'm really, really hard on myself. I, and then most recently, I'm also on top of everything else I deal with. I'm going through early onset menopause. So I've begun struggling with, um, I began struggling with depression. Mm. I want to say since like probably late last year. And then it got really increasingly bad most recently. And of course I knew exactly what to do. I was trying to do all the things. I was like, where's my coping skills? Um, I'm going to call my therapist. Uh, you know, um, nobody needs a therapist more than a therapist. Right. Exactly. And so I, um, it's only gotten harder. I think being good to myself has only gotten harder. Um, when you have children with unique needs, life is already going to present with so many extra challenges. Um, and anybody with disabilities will tell you that the world was not built accessible. And I, I tell people all the time, I get so angry with myself because I never thought of the plight of the disabled community until I had disabled children. Yeah. And, and I sit with all my frustrations and all my anger dealing with this entity or that entity or this agency or that agency and wanting to just absolutely lose my mind and thinking, and this is better. Like, this is better. Like, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 plus years ago. Oh my God, this is where, this is, this is horrible. <laughs> like, so, um, I, I don't know. I just, I always think about, um, I spend a lot of time thinking about my failures, things that I could have done better, how I could be better. Um, for me, I will, I am never enough. Um, my brain just doesn't allow me to think like that. I'm an overachiever by nature. I was a straight A student in graduate school. Like I'm just that person. Couldn't tell um, at all. Yeah. And I know I'm that way. And I know my thought processes and I know when I need help and things like that. But I can't say that I've ever come to the point of being able to be kind and compassionate to myself. Mm. So that's still a journey I am on. And until the day I die, I'm assuming that's the journey I'll be on. And whether I succeed at it or not is uh, it remains to be seen. As long as uh, we keep that as an intention for ourselves, uh, the world is hard enough. People are hard enough, particularly if you put yourself out there on social media, you know better than anyone. And so uh, self-compassion is an aspirational goal for us all. Always. Yeah. 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 You said a few, you wrote, you, I wrote down a few things that you've said, written, and um, actually you said them and then they were written. (laughs) Here's one, (laughs) just to clarify, um, here's one, uh, it just so resonated with me and 
will resonate with our community. I want Evan and all my kids to know that they are loved and accepted for who they are and will always be. As a parent, I chose to encourage confidence and kindness because that's what's ultimately makes the difference in the lives and hearts of kiddos like mine. And I will add all kiddos and I'll add all kiddos <laughs> to that too. Yeah. I did say those things. Yes, <laughs> I say a did. great many things. <laughs> it's so important. Like what we yeah. focus on in this overly complicated world. Um, what if we just all focus on raising people who are kind, who are accepted and feel accepted? I, I don't know if you know who Scott Stewart is. Scott Creates is who he is on social media as a friend of mine, kind of like a distant friend, if you will. And he wrote the book, uh, My Shadow is Pink. Mm -hmm. When his son, they live in Australia. Um, he's Australian, but his wife, Mel, is actually from Southern California, I believe. And so when they're coming out soon and we're going to hang out. They're coming nice. out, I think, next month. Um, and uh, he did a video recently that I was just like, oh, I love that. And it was like a dad talking to their kid and he was playing both roles. And the dad was like, tell me, son, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the son was like, okay, like, I want to be a dancer. No, I want to be a musician. The dad's like, no. And so this, he's playing the kid saying all these things. And then he's like, I want to be a writer like you. Yes. And so I, I took that. I saw that and I was like, there it is. Um, that projection we place on our kids. You have yeah. to be like me. Mm -hmm. You have to fall into the same constructs that my parents raised me to fall into um, or to buy into, should I say. And so those societal constructs and restraints are something that we are raised um, believing that we need to adhere to when these are just made up rules, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously laws, not like the legal stuff. Like, don't slap a cop, you guys, okay? Anybody watching this or listening to this, please that don't. That doesn't go well. That will not That's go well. That's never going to end well for you. Don't do that. <laughs> no. Um, but I'm talking about when we're talking about, like, gender identity or or who essentially when it, with our kids, like, who they want to be. You know, why can't your boy grow up to be a ballet dancer? if that's what he's telling you he wants to do. Um, it's those kinds of things that we as parents, we were raised with these wild ideals um, because that was the time. There was less awareness. There was less education. These things weren't out there. And I think we're seeing a shift with a lot of parents becoming more accepting and inclusive and those things. Like, But we're also seeing the people who are staunchly like, absolutely not. Right. Um, right. and that's, what's, I think really, really hard. And so I loved mm -hmm. that video he put out because I think it was just such a, an accurate message. Mm -hmm. Really powerful. Um, yeah. and some of us, you know, they're, they're the extremes. There's the people on both ends of the spectrum and they're for all of us being human as parents. There are times when the whole goal is to be aware and mindful that we might find ourselves unintentionally doing some of this stuff. We have the yes. best intentions and then we hear ourselves say something that maybe yeah. our parent like said to us, we're like, wait, what? And and the thing is, you can catch yourself and you can be like, wait, 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 wait. And I had a client tell me about this, that they, um, I don't know, I think it was their husband had said something to one of their kids and right after turned to his wife and said, why did I just say that? I cannot believe I just say that. And she's like, go back in and tell them that. Apologize. Like, it's not too late. Like, we can make mistakes. We can turn it around. Yeah. I apologize a lot to my yeah. kids. Yeah. I mean, even last night, it sounded like they were in my room. They weren't speaking to my room. I was like, you guys, get out of my room. And then they kind of popped their heads up and they're like, we're not in your room. I was like, 
super sorry about that. It, it sounded like you were in there. I apologize. My bad. My bad. My bad. My parents never would have said that. My parents weren't bad people by any means like that. Mm-hmm. They never would have said that. I don't ever recall my parents apologizing even when they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, there was never anything big, but even that wasn't even a big situation. I was like, dude, yep. super sorry about that. Like, yep. whoops. Yep. I'll make sure to triple check next time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I see my side of it. They kept going in there, you yep. know, so I assume totally. that's where they were. Um, and so, um, yeah, so it, even though for me, I'm coming from, you've repeated this pattern of behavior throughout the day today. Yeah. So, of course, I know where my mind is coming from. I was still wrong. And I was like, not cool, Ika. Yeah. Not cool. So I apologize. There you and it's, go. it's a very, I think it's a, a new thing. Um, I'm definitely not a gentle parent. Like, I see people like on social media talking about gentle pairing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that was great. Like, and I try and then I fail and then I feel like shit again. Um, and so, but I mean, I'm like, okay, just keep trying. What the yeah. hell? Yes. But I think we all have our own unique style of parenting. And I think parenting each child is very different. Um, yeah. Parent shaming is just a huge problem right now. People trying to push on all mm-hmm. parents, how they should be parenting is a huge issue right now. Um, my, my stance is, and I, I actually worked for CPS for a few years mm, mm. here in Southern California where I was an investigator. I would investigate uh, allegations of abuse and remove yeah. children when need be. So I know what actual abuse looks like. I yeah. know the penal codes surrounding that. And so what I tell parents is just love your kids. Just do mm-hmm. your best. Mm-hmm. You're going to screw up. You're going to feel like garbage sometimes. Your kids are going to mistreat you too. Like, Mm-hmm. kids by no means are innocent you know yeah. um and i was a really good kid but like man i had some family members they were little monsters and even as a kid i was like damn you're bad like you know mm-hmm. but um you know it's one of those things where i just always tell parents just do your best just do your best and i'm yeah. gonna tell you right now your best is never going to be good enough for anybody else parenting in any other style but just love your kids and um things will work out yeah. Things love your out. kids, parents, and be kind to your love and accept your kids oh, and, and be kind to yourself. Be kind it's to yourself. It's sad that we have to say and accept. Like you think acceptance right. and unconditional the unconditional side of things no. would tie into love right. when we talk about being a parent. We shouldn't have to say unconditional love. We shouldn't have to, you know, put that preface love with that word. We shouldn't have to say accept. Um yeah. those should tie into it when we're talking about right. a parent's love. That's my opinion. It's aspirational for us. One day, yeah. one day they will all go together. And um, yeah, we got to keep talking about acceptance, acceptance, yeah. acceptance. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, Ika, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Here okay. we go. <laughs> you got this. You got this. Here we go. <laughs> Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kid's life, and or those you love. We're going we're gonna to scooch that right back to my dad. I spoke about him um, earlier in this conversation. Um, I know a lot of parents will tell you, you'll understand your parents once you become a parent. My God, if that is not one of the most accurate things I've ever heard. So... Um, My dad stepped into the role of dad for myself and my brother, who's only two years, two years younger than me. When we were, we were young, we were probably like four and six. Um, 
And I never really thought of how difficult that would be. Think about it. It's very similar to fostering and adopting, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of overlap there. And um, I never thought, my mom had told me years later when I was adult, many years, a few years after my dad died, quite a few years, that he always had a fear that our biological father would come back and that we would want him more. Mm. And he never expressed that to me when he was alive. He never, ever, ever said that to me. And it broke my heart. Um, but there are so many things I think about my dad's experience raising, I'll just talk about me. I can't even talk about my brother cause I can't speak for somebody else, but raising me that I identify so closely with now and people, it's funny because I hear a lot of people, um, even other women, like, how can you love somebody else's child? Mm. Um, I even had somebody not long ago, um, who was seeing some of the stuff that I deal with, with the behavioral issues and made the comment, like, I don't want this to sound bad, but when I see it from an outside point, like these aren't even like your real kids. I was like, well, we're not going to be saying those things. Like, you know, but Mm -hmm. I understood where she was coming from, but she's like, well, hear me out. She goes, this, all this, I see that you're going through. And I wonder, like, why? Because she doesn't have that heart for adoption. She doesn't understand that link. Mm -hmm. My kids feel like they're an extension of my soul. I don't know how else to express it. Mm -hmm. And um, she goes, the only reason I can think that you would do this for children that, as she said, aren't yours, which I hate when people say that, was love. You have to love these kids. I was like, I do. I love my kids to, I, I always tell them, Like if something happens, it doesn't matter if it's this life or the next, our souls are going to find one another. We're Mm. always going to find each other. Yeah. And so, um, my dad taught me that. Mm -hmm. And I think that seeing so much of the world, not understanding how, and Mm. never ever seeing that adoption is family. It's still love that that connection still exists, even though my kids didn't come from my body and we don't share a drop of blood. DNA, you know, um, it never, ever occurred to me to think like that because Mm. my dad, yeah, I had this person in my life. He was your dad. He was my, he is my dad. He is your dad. I always tell people he will always be my dad and Mm -hmm. giving Eli and Evan his name as their middle names, I think was one of, um, the ways to honor that very special relationship. Um, and that's who we talk about, Papa Denny. They don't mm-hmm. hear about my biological father, nothing like that. They hear about mm-hmm. their Papa Denny mm-hmm. and that Papa Denny's in heaven. And um, it's uh, it's very, it was, it was hard to kind of start seeing it from his perspective and the things he must have felt, the fears he must have felt, like what I expressed to you, yeah. you had said. Um, and now understanding those on a personal level and so wishing like he's not here anymore, but so wishing I could go back and, and tell him Mm -hmm. absolutely not. That was, that would never, ever cross my mind. You Mm -hmm. are my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm now in that role and my dad played a pivotal part in my life. This man who had no ties to us, he had no responsibilities to us. He didn't have to be the kind of dad he was. And then he stepped up into that role and he was, and he didn't even have to say it, but just by being who he was, he taught me so many things. So mm. he changed my life. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, when you were talking about him, your face just lit up. There was just light and smile for everyone. I got a picture of him. There's a picture of him here on my dresser. Yeah. 
I have a friend who's a psychic medium. She's big on TikTok, and um, she's told me some stuff that I'm like, "There's no way you could have known that. There's no way you could have like my dad is. He's with you. And she said that she said one day she goes, he comes. Evan feels him. He pats Evan on the head. I was like, shut your mouth. Evan does that to people, and I didn't know where she was getting it. Wow. So she's like, your dad is here with you. He's here. He's still here. So that's comforting. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Ika, thank you for uh, not only this conversation, but continually continuing to put you yourself out there, to put your family out there in a way that expands people's minds, right? Advocates, expands. Uh, you said one of the other words of wisdom that you said is your goal is to open a few minds and a few hearts. And I think we could say that few has turned into millions. And so that that is awesome. Thank you. So this is obvious, but tell everyone the platforms where they could find you. We're on TikTok at the McLeod fam. We're also over on YouTube at the McLeod fam. And we are on Instagram at the McLeod family. Everyone, you already know where this they are. Keep going. And for those of you who haven't gone there, go there. Um, become a part of the family and the mission. And uh, that's it for today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for your reviews. Thank you for bringing people to our community, sharing this episode with everyone you know will benefit. Leave you with one last word of wisdom from Ika. Stay educated and stay kind. Thank you. You know what I'm going to ask you to do? That is to be the person you want your child to become. Do your best. It's all you can do. And ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.